Welcome to ConX, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Uh, today, I have George Watts with me here. I get your name correct, George? Yes, sir, you did. All right. Uh, uh, so, George, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, kind of your history, where you grew up, kind of what, you know, uh, some, some of your hobbies, that kind of thing. And they kind of take us from there, you know, through your career if you had one and then uh, take us to where you're at today. Sure, be happy to. Thanks, Scott. Um, so I'm a Dallas native, uh, but I've lived all over. Uh, I went to college at UT Austin and uh, Stephen F. Austin and uh, happen to be working on my master's right now at University of Oklahoma. Um, I've been in the uh, AE Co. Architecture, Engineering, Construction and Owners career for about 40 years now. Uh, I've got more than $7 billion in completed project value under my belt. And uh, wow. within, the, within the, yeah, well, I've been here for a long time. Uh, but within <laughs> the industry, I was going to say, you're either, you either got some big immediate big projects or you're old, one or the other. So, well, <laughs> well uh, I'll let, I'll let our listeners pick which one. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, within the industry, I've served in a number of different roles, uh, including real estate investment banking. I've been a general contractor. I served as president of a real estate development firm, uh, and I've also been a business owner. Um, in 2008, I started my own company, uh, exclusively representing owners, and eventually uh, my firm was acquired by an ENR-ranked company. And I planned to stay for two years, but eventually that turned into seven. And uh, in early 2022, uh, my friend Stephen Sachs invited me to come to work for SLS Consultants, which he founded. And since that day, I have never had so much fun at work. Um, I've served on a number of boards of directors in the industry uh, for prof uh, different professional or organizations. And uh, I've had some white papers published here in the U.S. and also in Europe, uh, written some magazine articles and a hardback book, uh, plus another one which is going to come out in 2024. Um, I'm a former triathlete and competitive cyclist. Uh, I've ridden the. Oh seven wow! <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not breaking any land speed records anymore. But uh, <laughs> one of the one of the funnest things I ever did was I rode the seven mountain stages of a bike race called La Tour de France. Um, and oh, that's wife, incredible. That must have been exciting. It, it was. It was also probably physically, without a doubt, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but at any rate, just to conclude that portion of it, uh, my dear wife, Sue, and I have two dogs and four grown kids with wonderful spouses and two grandsons so far. So was it more difficult to raise your children or your dogs? <laughs> Well, I'll put it this way. Our grown children say that uh, in their next life, they want to be a dog in our house. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is I have, you know, uh, I, I replace my kids with animals, too. And uh, it seems to be working out much better. So, <laughs> but, uh, but, <laughs> well, so so tell us a little bit about. Uh, kind of where you're at, kind of what the, the company looks like. And by the way, I'm also interested in when you work for yourself and then you go work for work with somebody else, um, the, the, some of the struggles there, but it sounds like you've, you've, you've worked that out to 
be beneficial for both parties. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and and uh, the second part of that, too? Sure, be happy to. So SLS Consultants are a relatively new company uh, founded only four years ago by my friend Stephen Sachs. And in that short time, we've been blessed with the good fortunes that come with intentional growth. Uh, now we have offices in four states here in the U.S., and we plan to office uh, open a, an office in Europe uh, in the near future. Um, SLS uh, is, we are an owner's program management firm, but we also offer other lines of service as well. Uh, most of us at, at the company started our careers as general contractors. Uh, however, we eventually migrated over to the owner side of the equation for, for different reasons. But, but fundamentally, we believe uh, that, there, that four essential attributes are needed to, to complete projects for our clients on time and on budget. The first of those is the ability to properly plan the project. Uh, the second of those is the technical knowledge that, frankly, can only come with enough real-world experience to know what right looks like. Uh, mm -hmm. Thirdly, uh, there's, there's leadership skill, and, and I know we plan to talk a little bit more about that later on. And then fourth, uh, but probably the most important, is total commitment to our client's best interest. Um, and, and we're fortunate to be uh, right in that sweet spot of a, we're the size of a company where we can focus on our client's best interest. Uh, having been a bit uh, an, an owner of a business and sold that business to a large company, uh, and I've worked for some large companies too, the, the thing about working at a large company is everybody works for IT or accounting or HR. <laughs> and our company is small enough to where um, we have a good accounting, a uh, couple of good accounting people. We have a good IT person, um, but, but we're not uh, overburdened with that. So if, if we generate a management report or if we generate uh, a, a, a periodic report on something, it's for our clients. Now, we have internal tracking tools, but one of the refreshing things about working for a business this size is we're not inundated with all those internal management reports that uh, that nobody reads. So uh, anyway, that's that's one of the refreshing things about working for a small company. Well, it sounds like from what you said, you, you're you're doing something you like doing and you're good at. Well, thanks. It also helps that I, I work alongside people that I respect and I really like. So, um, so the core focus for the current business you're with, what, what, what's your primary? Is it owners reps? Is it something more than that? Uh, yeah. So we actually do more than uh, just represent owners and their major capital pro projects or programs. The program uh, consists of many projects. Um, so, so to kind of start big picture, we're focused on serving our clients by delivering predictable and proper outcomes. Um, so when we represent our owners in their projects, fundamentally we're stewards. They've entrusted us with something that's very precious and dear to them, their projects, their financial resources, their real estate, and, and their construction outcomes. And uh, so to, to do that, we keep our cultural values in mind at all times. And, and we have four of those at SLS, teamwork, integrity, 
innovation and enjoyment. And, and when I say enjoyment, I, I don't mean that we have a party every day at work, but I, I guess the best way to uh, say that is Steve Jobs once said, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. I love that. And uh, look, the construction industry is is really, really a difficult industry, probably more difficult now than certainly it was 40 years ago when I started in it. Um, but in, rep in representing our owners, um, we guide the pre-construction process through construction and close out and turn over to owner. Um, we also have another line of service that we call asset management, where we serve uh, financial institutions, commercial real estate lenders, uh, and equity investors. Um, we do field observation reports, uh, schedule management, um, quality uh, inspections, and uh, we we really we have people that are very good at that and, and seasoned professionals with the with the experience in those fields. So what what do you think has made you guys successful? I I think fundamentally uh, our success is keeping the main thing the main thing, um, knowing what we're good at and not getting distracted by things that sound cool, but we really don't know what those are. Um, and also keeping that main thing in mind uh, every day. Um, you know, when, when you get distracted with cool sounding things that you may not know anything about and you just venture off uh, kind of half cocked, that's, that's where uh, you can get in trouble. There's an interesting article that came out a few years ago, uh, and I believe it was in ENR magazine, and it was about uh, why construction companies fail. And there were a number of different reasons in that, but uh, one of them was that construction companies, and I'm, I'm going to put our organization in that realm because we operate in the construction uh Mm -hmm. uh, arena, even though we don't build anything, we represent the owners to get those results. So um, when, when companies chase businesses, uh, uh, sorry, when they chase opportunities um, and they're not fully confident that they can be successful in those opportunities, then they land the business and then all of a sudden they're an epic fail. And that could be for a number of different reasons. It can just be a complete mismatch of culture. It could be a very technical product project type that uh, this company doesn't have any experience in. And then all of a sudden day one, they're a duck out of water. Um, but for SLS, we know what we're good at and uh, we bear that in mind all the time and we leverage the talents that we do have. Does that help you? Well, so that that's some good, that's some great advice uh, doing Putting the right – say that again for me. Putting the first things first, what did you say exactly? Well, we try to keep the main thing the main thing. That's – that – and I had to have you say that again because that resonated with me. Actually, uh, it resonated with me because that's – in my own business, it can be tough because uh, there's a lot of rabbit holes out there, and you can go down them really quickly, you know, so – um, <laughs> and it takes a lot of time to run those rabbit warrens, and all of a sudden you realize, gee whiz, look at all the hours I invested in this, and didn't pan out too well. 
it's hard to know when you when you've reached that point because you do you know you want to grow your company but you also so you want to do everything at first but then you get to a point where you've grown it enough to be able to do the things you need to focus on and you maybe you need to focus in on those items do you guys have have you seen that kind of progression we we have and and our solution to that is rather than send one of our own people into a a realm that's completely uncharted water if you will um go out and hire somebody who has a lot of experience in that particular realm um and i'll give you an example one of our uh core markets is uh, data centers and mission critical facilities. And we're managing some projects for, I can't mention them uh, on the uh, podcast here for uh, confidentiality reasons, but uh, with some of the largest providers of data services on the planet. And those are very, very specialized technical buildings and with, with complicated site conditions and so forth. And it would be a mistake to try to take somebody, one of our people who, for example, is an expert in uh, sports stadiums and just send them out there to run a data center project um, because it, it would be a complete mismatch of skills and, and technical applications. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we've done in our data center mission critical uh, practice is we've hired the nation's best experts in that field to manage those projects for our clients. Well, excellent. You know, that's a, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. One thing I wanted to add to that is what I've learned over the years is uh, it's totally worth it to uh, spend, invest a little bit more uh, in your people, uh, in their compensation so that you're hiring out of the top, of the of the barrel uh and that way you you know it it, when you find uh that right person um compensation shouldn't be you know sometimes it becomes a deal breaker but it, it you know as long as other things being equal it shouldn't be a deal breaker and it's it's well worth it to pay uh what somebody is truly worth in the marketplace and it's incredible how like pay when I first started in the industry, it was in my mind, that was the thing, you know, and it was like the level of, you know, what, you, what value you bring to the company or whatever. But then you, then as I've gotten older, I've realized how important culture is. And you mentioned a lot of things about culture, about the company that you're involved with. It, I mean, there's, there's a lot there that is far beyond how much you get in your bank account each week or biweekly. You want to talk about any of that, that stuff culture related? Yeah. You know, Scott, I think you said it all right there. That's such good stuff. The finding the right fit and the right spot uh, for any individual uh, in in any work environment is uh, I would say it's very rare. Uh, So many people are working at jobs that, uh, they don't enjoy in a, a work environment that's that's not conducive to their own personal well-being. And I want to talk a little bit about well-being later on. But um, it, those things uh, that that make a, a productive and, and I'm just going to say a happy workplace for that individual, 
have everything to do with that individual's contribution to the organization, the quality of work, and also their own well-being. And you're right. And it's a combination of all that stuff. I wish, I wish it was as simple as one thing, but it's never one thing, you know, um, it, it could be one thing to, you know, one of my, one of my, uh, gentlemen that works for me, one of his big things is the ability to bring his dog to work. You know, he loves that. And it sounds so simple, but you know, if you can make it work for your organization, you could really, that, and the other thing is, is we don't, we don't have a dress code at work because we don't have clients walking in the door. So that's, that's huge to a lot of people, especially younger folks. Absolutely. And of course, the, the fundamental outcome of that is uh, client satisfaction. If you have happy, productive people, then there's a much better chance of getting the clients the uh, the work product and the and level of service that they need and deserve. So let's change. Let's go on and change uh, the thought process here and talk a little bit about. We've been talking about the company and kind of what you do. So let's talk about you as an individual. And I always love, absolutely love, to ask these questions because I think you get great insight from people. Um, personally skills and abilities do you have that you believe have that have helped business i can tell just by our brief conversation here you're a humble guy but don't be humble (laughs) so uh you want to know events that have shaped my career is that kind of what we're talking about no more more about like what do you think the skills and abilities that you brought to the table and, you know, and how you've obtained them have really helped you be successful. Um, oh. Is it technical? Is it those soft skills? That kind of thing. Sure. Um, I, I would say three things, three things. One, I'm a service-minded team player, uh, and I'm told that I'm a good teacher. Um, so that that's number one. Um Number two, I bring four decades of experience to help our company's aspiring leaders navigate uncharted water uh, and grow in their own careers. And I don't, I'm not saying I don't learn every day because I do, but I've just I've experienced a lot of things in my career. And uh, I, I'm not going to say there's a whole well, there's just there's a lot that I uh, that I've seen and it takes a lot to uh, to knock me off center. Um, I'm, I'm not surprised by very much. Um, and then thirdly, I have a wide business network. Admittedly, I'm not a salesperson and cold calling is, is not my number one uh, skill. Uh, although I do have a very long list of contacts uh, over the years, my business basically has grown through word of mouth and, and repeat clients. So, so I'd say those are the three things uh, that I bring to the table. So you kind of uh, kind of led into this a little bit before my previous question. If you had to, you know, point out some key experiences you had, you know, because I'm a big believer that wisdom doesn't come from education and wisdom doesn't come from experience. It becomes from a little bit of both, you know, and um, I just kind of want to give from you what kind of uh, experiences you've had that have 
have brought to you a little wisdom and have taught you significant lessons in your life, either personally or professionally? Sure. Well, uh, I've had a lot of good fortune over the years, and uh, I've learned a lot from a lot of different people in a lot of situations. But um, I'm going to say that I've, I've had really four mentors over my career, and I didn't get to pick any of them, um, but good, bad, or indifferent, each one of those people helped to shape me as a professional and, and also shape my career trajectory. Um, I remember one of my early career mentors was kind of this absent-minded professor type, and he was a really smart guy, but he operated mostly in his own world, and he wasn't interested in teaching me or anybody else working under him. And I was hungry to learn, and I came into the office every day wanting to accomplish big things. You know, I've got this brand-new college degree, and I'm young and hungry and want to learn and want to do things. Eventually, I just got tired of asking him what I needed to do because he'd give me these menial tasks that were completely meaningless. Um, and he didn't even explain what I was doing, how, how that related to the big picture. Um, so what I did was I read the job description of the position above me, and I started finding opportunities to start doing those things so I could get promoted out of there. Um, I made some mistakes. And fortunately, they didn't cost the company a lot of money, but I learned from those mistakes and moved forward with the lessons and understood how to do better next time. Um, I also learned that to get on the fast, fast track to promotion, you have to not only demonstrate that you've mastered your current job, but people have to see that you're capable of performing at the next higher level. And, uh, you know, oftentimes people get promoted but they're incompetent at that next higher level. And uh, there's a, a book that came out in the 1960s called The Peter Principle that expands on that, but it's, it's uh, a management theorem that holds true yeah. every single day. Um, but now when I'm evaluating whether someone should be up for a promotion, I give them opportunities, stretch goals, if you will, to test whether it's a good match and prove that they're ready. And that way they're more likely to be successful in their next role. Um, from one truly great mentor, uh, I learned that to be a true leader, you have to be able to inspire others. Uh, this individual inspired me for a lot of reasons, including his work ethic. Um, but he also was a superb example of, uh, a person, you know, high, high level of personal character every single moment of every day. Um, he had an ability to work through problems and resolve conflicts and, uh, his instincts about people were uncanny. Um, he could motivate and inspire uh, a lot of different types of people who were working under his authority. And he also knew how to make work fun. Uh, we worked hard, but we also laughed a lot. Um, we traveled quite a bit. Uh, I traveled a lot in, in my career in, at that time. And uh, he taught me about professional conduct in all situations. He used to say it's game time all the time. Uh, he taught me. Uh, the best restaurants in the major cities around the U.S. and how to properly entertain business guests, how to order food, how to order wine. And uh, that, that gentleman really helped me become a better professional. That's, a, that's some excellent good insight. It's, it's funny how some people you never expect to be a mentor 
whether good or bad, because I have some people that I, I hate to say it, but that I think of as mentors, and they maybe never even knew it, um, just based on their actions, good or bad, you know, and uh, that's pretty incredible. So I'm going to ask you the question I absolutely love to ask, um, and that question is simply this. If you went back and talked to 18-year-old George and you were to give him advice, both personally and professionally, what advice would you give him? Well, so 18-year-old George, like most 18-year-olds, didn't even know who he was. Um, and only at 18, I, I thought I knew it all, um, which made me probably just like most other 18-year-olds. And, um, mm -hmm. but, but carrying it forward a little bit, um, for, for people who want, who aspire to lead an organization, let's go big picture, people who want to get to the C-suite, um, you have to run before, you have to walk before you can run. So before you can get to the C-suite, you have to run a small group and then you run a division, then you run a, uh, a region and so on and so forth. But for those people who have those aspirations, I'd say, ask yourself two questions. One, are you somebody who can inspire others? You know, a great team player is not always a great executive leader and individual contributors are seldom good leaders. Um, when I was a kid growing up in Dallas, I was a Dallas Cowboy fan and, um, you know, talk to, people these days and you got people who love the Cowboys and people who don't. But if you look at the Dallas Cowboys uh, over the past, well, since Jerry Jones bought the team, it, it really has been a, a great collection of individual contributors, but they don't play well as a team. And, and that right there is going to be the downfall, whether it's an NFL team or a business. So number one question, Ask yourself, are you really somebody who's going to inspire other people? And number two, how are you going to prepare to show up as a powerful and impactful leader? I would say, number one, develop the muscles of resilience, as I call them. Get used to the environment where not everybody gets a medal. Sometimes the medal goes to the wrong person. Life's not always fair. Um, in her book, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown deals with uh, things in the workplace. Um, failure is something that everybody tries to avoid, not only for financial reasons, but we also don't want to sacrifice professional credibility. But when people make mistakes at work, the natural instinct is to defend themselves. But in reality, failure is how we all learn. And, and resilience means you have to learn how to lean into adversity and work through it with character. Now, I would also offer that, that leading an organization is more about creating clarity about the future state and building relationships of trust and inspiring others to achieve that future state. Well, how do you achieve those things? Well, first of all, the leader has to be visible and they've gotta be transparent. I, I know those are kind of contradictory terms, but stay with me on this. So you gotta be visible you got to be transparent and you have to be empathetic every single step of the way. So, so here's how to create clarity in, in my humble opinion. First, you ought to define what success looks like. The conditions of satisfaction, as we call them in construction. 
if you don't, everybody is going to get frustrated down the line because nobody understands what you're asking them to do or achieve or even why. If you're in a, if you're in new territory, it's okay to define success for a temporary period of time and then revise the plan as you go. But when things don't go as planned, you find the lesson and you invest that in your next step forward. And earlier I mentioned you build trust. Well, you do that by being visible. This is the visible part. People are only going to trust you if you're involved on a personal basis. You have to deliver results over and over and over again and support the team when they have a victory. It's the team's victory. The leader should not take credit for the team's work. Um, leaders should listen closely. Um, and, and at the end of the day, your customers are going to tell you what they value. When your customers tell you they don't like something or uh, this doesn't look right or this is not the right result, I would recommend processing that information as your customer is trying to tell you how to succeed. Don't get defensive. They're trying to help you and tell you what they do want. Um, inspiring people uh, is a big one. That's probably the hardest, but I'm going to offer that it's probably the most important. So I, I talked a little bit about this before, uh, but in order to attract the best talent in the industry, you have to understand the skills and attributes required for the job, as well as the unique needs and aspirations of that candidate. So what I've learned today in, in my station in my career and with candidates that I'm interviewing, uh, millennials, Gen Z, the two biggest shifts in candidates are one, amplification of voice, and two, the change in the employee-employer relationship. Not the contract, but the relationship. And, and this is where authenticity is going to give the leader a distinct advantage, not only with customers, but also with direct, <clears throat> excuse me, direct reports. Um, I'm going to suggest probably the best way to penetrate a relationship and, and get to that point of trust is to be willing to be vulnerable first. If you're not authentic, you're wasting enormous intellectual capacity overcompensating and trying to be something that you're not. If you're willing to be vulnerable and put something on the table first, that other individual is much more likely to, to tear down the boundaries and you can have a genuine dialogue. And one more thing, I know I'm talking too, too much here, but I want to offer one more thing. True leaders do. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Thanks. So, so I, <laughs> I feel that true leaders should not be executing technical work. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now, doing the work might be what got you to this point. But now that you're an executive leader, if you're executing, you're not creating or enabling others to master that activity. So to be resolute as an inclusive leader, solicit other people's voices. I, I see you. Invite them into the conference room by name. I hear you. Invite them to support or defend or challenge the proposal on the table. When you do that, everybody is invested in the solution. So that that's kind of my little vignette on that topic. You know, it, you you know, you say two things that uh, I really uh, hit home for me. One of them being is that when you make a mistake, you own it. 
You know, I mean, we all make mistakes. And I think the greatest thing I've learned from great leaders is when they make a mistake, they own what they did wrong. And I have learned that in my own leadership style is that, and not just leadership style, whether it's at work or at home with my children, when you make a mistake, own it because they respect you and they realize, hey, you're a human too. And it's okay that you made a mistake and it's okay for them to make mistakes, you know? And the second thing I want to tell you is totally off conversation, but uh, it was a joke. Somebody told me about the Dallas Cowboys stadium. They always said, uh, why is there a, why did they enclose the Dallas Cowboys stadium uh, completely? And so God could look at his team. <laughs> so I had to share that with you, and I'm sure you've heard that several different times. But, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, that in that me. spirit of fun, <laughs> in that spirit of fun, we're going to jump into our speed round. We have eight different categories. Uh, we want you to rate you from one to ten, uh, ten being the most important, one being the least important. And they can all be tens. Uh, so, but I'd like you to explain why you assign a specific number to a specific category. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, let's start with scheduling. That's a ten. And, and it, oh, you want me to say why? Okay. So, scheduling is a ten because your schedule is is a management tool. It's a roadmap. It's going to tell you how to get from start to finish. And if you don't pay attention to your schedule, uh, you're, you're not going to know whether you're on the trail or off the trail. And when we start doing work out of sequence, then that's when we get in trouble and we get unintended outcomes, either uh, schedule slippage or quality problems uh, or uh, all, all kinds of uh, you know, the waste of rework and don't get me started on all the lean construction stuff. But uh, anyways, that, that, those are some of the reasons scheduling is a 10. Estimating. Estimating. Well, that's also a 10. Um, estimating is uh, just that it, it's by definition, an estimate is going to be wrong. It's not going to be to the penny, but it should be close. Estimating uh, is your, that's your, budget basically you're you're a financial steward whether you're a general contractor or a designer or an owner's representative you're a steward of the, that owner's dollar so when the estimate uh, is produced it should have a very high level of confidence and it should represent the probable cost um, if at some point along the way the actual costs are off of the estimate um, corrective action needs to be taken to bring that financial performance back into budget. Uh, the other thing for the estimators, I'm not an estimator. We have wonderful estimators within our company, by the way, but uh, I've done enough cost estimating to know uh, that first of all, you don't want me to be your estimator. Uh, but number two, <laughs> but I, I know how it's done and I know what work, what right looks like. So th the thing about an estimate is sometimes they're wrong, but even those, those missed numbers uh, represent a very valuable learning opportunity, uh, not only for the estimator, uh, but for the rest of the market and the team, if that makes sense. It does. It does. So the next two categories are contracts and contract administration. 
contracts, meaning the paper contract, and contract administrating, meaning the execution of that contract. Right. I'm, I'm glad you described it that way, Scott, because they do run hand in glove. So the negotiating the, the business deal, if you will, the, the actual contract, which is uh, the, the legal structure and the business deal and the business pricing uh, is one thing. And that tells all the parties, whether it's a two-party agreement or in an in integrated project delivery IPD, we, we have something called the integrated form of agreement, which is a multi-party contract. But that document tells everybody involved what they're responsible for. And it also should tell you, uh, it, it ought to give you an idea of why you shouldn't do bad things uh, because there could be penalties associated with it. So I would say on the front end, uh, contracts and contract administration are both a 10 if they're, I'm not sure if it's one category or two, but contract administration to spend a moment on that, um, that is implementation and monitoring of the contract terms along the way through pre-construction into construction and closeout and turnover to owner. Um, and with a well-written contract, there should be no question about how that contract should be administ administered uh, from deliverables, from pre-construction, who's responsible for responding and when, and into construction and who's responsible for doing what and delivering what, and even right down to the documents required in, in the contractor's pay applications and, and the timing thereof and getting those things paid. Great answers. Uh, design. Yeah, design. I'm going to put a 10 on that one as well. Um, with anybody in our industry has had uh that one or maybe several projects where the, the design documents were uh, unclear. And when design documents are unclear uh, and, and you don't get the needed clarification, then the contractor is trying to figure, figure out solutions on the fly. Now, having been a contractor, you know, we all have to be impulsive sometimes in the field and we have to do things and, uh, sometimes the, the question is so uh, fundamental, you may not need that formal RFI and response. Um, but without a good design and without a good documentation of that design, um, it, it can, it, it, a project can go sideways really, really quickly. Um, and when you're dealing with challenging projects, I can remember uh, I was on the pre-con team for an art museum a number of years ago, it was a Moshe Softy design and there wasn't a straight angle in it. Um, this thing was built in the bottom of a river channel. Beautiful, beautiful project. But there were so many factors at work there uh, that any, any designer and any builder would say, you know, avoid a round building with a round roof and we're building in the bottom of the river channel. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, with the design partners and the construction partners at the table, uh, that design worked and it, it worked very well.
Next item is accounting. Well, accounting uh, is not the most exciting thing in the world, but I'm going to rank it a 10. Uh, and I'm thankful that there are people who are good at accounting because uh, without keeping all the, uh, the debits and credits and uh, P&Ls and uh, numbers together in the financial record of the job, uh, there, there's you know, no, no way to tell whether the job is, is financially performing uh, as it should and whether it made money or lost money or is on budget or over budget or under budget. Um, and I, that sounds pretty simplistic, but without accounting, uh, there would be no measure of the financial performance of the job. Business development. Oh, boy. Well, that's a 10 also. Um, business development is, I mean, that, that's the coal that stokes the furnace of the whole engine that's, that's pulling the company. Um, if, if you're not developing new business, either with exist, new jobs, new projects with existing clients or, uh, or winning new work with new clients, then your business is on a trajectory to uh, probably land hard pretty soon. So uh, without business development, uh, any company is, is not going to do very well. And last but not least, leadership. <laughs> well, we talked about leadership uh, quite a bit before, and there's no need to rehash it. But I, I'm going to say that leadership is a 10 for all the reasons that we that we previously discussed today. So, well, thank you, George, for your insight. Uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so it's to me, all of those categories are a 10. I know that probably sounds like a cop out, but uh, they're all truly needed in order to properly manage project risks. And I'm going to say even a company, if you have any hope of achieving, uh, you know, pre predictable results. Um, but, but I would be interested if anybody has a, perspective that says that one or, more, one or more of those are less than a 10, I'd sure be interested to hear that perspective. What's interesting about, um, and the reason I ask these questions is because um, I stole it from some, you know, news television show, uh, the speed round, but uh, truly I like to understand how different roles see different ways. Like, if you're in an owner's rep role, how do you look at it different than maybe a general contractor or a designer? And it's just, it's incredible over the time I've done this about how numbers are different and how people see things based on their experience level. Hmm. Do you have any comments on that? Well, I, I think, again, you, you said it beautifully that uh, depending on a person's role uh, and their experience, they're liable to have a slightly different perspective. <clears throat> certainly uh, contractors are going to see things through a different lens uh, than a designer will uh, and an owner's rep and, and certainly an auditor uh, will see things through a different lens than the contractor does. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I appreciate you offering that. Well, George, I want to thank you for your perspective. I want to thank you for your time 
and I want to thank you for the great podcast. Uh, you had a lot of great information down. I actually take notes during these typically because I use them for myself, you know, selfishly, you know, so, but uh, there's, there's so much great input you have. And as I like to uh, always, uh, always say is I want to give you the last word. Well, we've talked about a lot of really great things here. Uh, I, I hope our listeners have uh, uh, seen and heard some things that are helpful to them. And Scott, I want to express my appreciation for you having me on. And uh, I hope, uh, hope we can have a visit again sometime. Great podcast. Great guests. Join us next week for another Connex podcast.